You want to take your kid to religious school, do it. You want to homeschool your kid, do it. But that's not what anyone planned with public tax money, right? I'm Mitch. And I'm Missy. We're co-workers. He's the boss and we're married. And she's the boss. Together, we host Good Faith Weekly, a podcast on faith and culture. What could possibly go wrong? Tune in and find out. Missy. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Missy and I are going to catch up, talk about current events, and then later on the pod, we sit down with Jess Piper, who is an unapologetic progressive voice for rural folks all across the heartland. Folks, you're going to want to stay tuned for this interview because it is fantastic. Hello there, Missy. Hey, how are you? Doing well. What an exciting end to our weekend. Mitch, this isn't that kind of podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's also not that kind of marriage. Hey, Hey now. (laughs) You're just coming out swinging. That's right. That's right. Well, I'm a little feisty after, uh, you know, the weekend's escapades. Should should we clarify? (laughs) I think so. Okay. So I... I know that that many of our listeners know because they've been messaging us, but we do live in Oklahoma. We are in Norman, Oklahoma, and Norman um, was uh, hit by several tornadoes last weekend. It was such a it was a strange day because uh, you know Saturday they started predicting storms, and then Sunday we learned a new term. Derecho. <laughs> That's right. Did I Derecho. Say that right? Derecho. Derecho uh, which is Spanish for straight. And uh, what a derecho is in meteorological terms is that they are incredibly strong straight winds. And they were predicting winds up to 100 miles an hour. And I think they did clock some. At 115 miles an yes. hour. So this was not tornado. This no, was just straight, straight line, line winds, wind. That's right. Um, west of us. So it, it was just, it was a different storm than what we're used to for sure. Yeah. So uh, we were buckling everything down, really expecting these straight line winds to just, you know, knock us off our feet here in Central Oklahoma. And, and they were bad leading oh, into yeah, the storm. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to take a moment to just point out that um, as people have contacted me to say, are y'all okay? Are y'all okay? And, and of course, you know, we're, we're fine. We were very lucky, but also our warning systems. And we knew for a week that this was going to come. We knew in the days leading up our prediction centers and our weathermen are telling us, listen, guys, this is what's going to happen. It's going to be bad. You need to be prepared that morning. You prepared, you brought in all the patio stuff and everything, you know, everything we could do to be prepared. So my point is in this long example is that science (laughs) is a good thing. Um, Without science, we wouldn't have known, and there would have been much more um, loss of life and uh, many more injuries than there were. Thankfully, there was no loss of life. Um, Unfortunately, there was loss of property, um, and so that's always devastating. But So Sunday afternoon, we're expecting these straight-line winds to move in about um, about nightfall. Mm-hmm. And so storms began to pop up. The 
there is a squall line, as Mm -hmm. they call it here in central Oklahoma, that begins to form west of the Oklahoma City metro area. We live on the south side. And as the storms approached, they began to spin. So supercells began to develop. They began to spin. And then all of a sudden, there is... Uh, vortex uh, within some of these supercells, and so you know, like you know, a dumb. This Oklahoma, is the part where you pretend to be the weatherman, isn't it? It is. Okay. It is. I'm, I'm so loving this. But uh, you know, the dumb Oki in me, you know, goes to the the south side to look out the window to see the derecho. Which the coming. weatherman had said so many times that day, folks, do not go to your windows. Like this is so bad. I didn't go outside. Do not go to the window. No, they said do not go to the windows. So I'm sitting there and I look back at you and I say, golly, it's just a, that's a long clap of thunder. It just sounds like a dull roar. And I did not think of it at the time. But then about a minute or two later, the sirens go off. And so what I think what we were hearing was the formation. Start, yeah, it started just south of us. Of a tornado. So let's talk about our tornado preparations, okay? <laughs> so let, let's let's go there for, for just a moment. At least it's a lot us. better than our ice storm preparations. So my, I prepared by, I packed a backpack, which had my laptop, mm-hmm. cell phone charger, yes. battery extender, mm-hmm. my medications, contacts, because if things go bad and Oh, I'm leaving you behind. Sorry. I, I I'm blind as a bat. <laughs> so I need thing I need my contacts. Mm-hmm. I need like eye drops. I have I mean all of my necessary things. So we go to the tornado closet and I immediately we have bike helmets hanging in there because the number one them. cause of death in tornadoes is head, head injury. Yeah. So I put my bike helmet on and my backpack thinking, okay, now I'm secure. I've got all my things that I need with me because if I'm Dorothy and land in Oz, I'll mm-hmm. at least have my contacts I can see, right? And my crazy pills because <laughs> nobody wants me without those. <laughs> nobody wants that. <laughs> you have like nothing. Nothing. Nothing on I your I got person. the iPad. <laughs> you just have, I made you put the bike helmet on. So this is the other thing. I have to learn that when we're in the tornado closet, I have to have a, a better backdrop because it's real hard to get our, you know, requisite selfie in the tornado closet without like my bra straps in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so if any of you saw the pictures on social media and, you know, are like to play I Spy, there's a bra hanging in the background, but you know, yeah. whatever. So the, the tornado forms south of us. Uh, we, you know, sirens go off. We get into our tornado uh, closet uh, that's in the central part of our house. But then it drops and it it uh, touches uh, ground south, southeast, and east side of Norman and did quite extensive damage. It really did. We actually, we don't know anyone firsthand who... Um, lost their homes, but we do know secondhand a few folks who um, lost their homes. Thankfully, like we said, there there were no fatalities. Mm-hmm. There were some injuries. Um, so it was, it was quite devastating. For yeah, us. it was an exciting Sunday. Uh, you know, thank God, like you said, uh, no loss of life that has been reported. Some injuries. But, you should clarify exciting. Well, just, I mean, it, it was anxious. I mean, we yeah, were very anxious. that's a better word. Uh, on, on Sunday, but like I said, thankfully, no loss of life that's been reported. Some injuries, mainly uh, devastation with um, 
homes and just businesses, prop- property, property damage. Yeah, property, so. So. Uh, but as people began to post the damage and talk about the tornado, you saw something on social media that we want to talk about. Ooh, I did. And I don't know. It's been, it's been bugging me um, this week, but I did see someone on a social media friend who posted that their relative had lost basically or lost their home. There was enough damage to their home where it's not livable. Yeah. Which is horrible. It's, it's terrible. Like we know this, we know these people. And um, so, you know, I was reading their post in the story and then Someone commented down the way and said, well, God protects those close to his heart. And if you want to know why people are leaving this institution of church, if you want to know why people are walking away from faith, this is it. It's not necessarily this one person, this one comment, but this is the mindset that is such a turnoff for people. Yeah. And to be fair, in that post. I'm sure the person who posted that is steeped in uh, you know this this church language, this theological construct and most likely was trying to be encouraging. Oh, of course. I've no ill will towards that. But I mean, at the same time when that kind of construct emerges in situations like this and the conclusion is God protects those that God deems close to God, then there are some people, are more favored than others. Right, there and, are people out there who were not saved. So let's go back a month or two to this earthquake we had in in Turkey. Yeah, I mean, 45, 40 to fifty thousand people are dead. Are dead. Well, were they not close to God? Right. I just. I wish, and I and I am guilty of it too, because there's so much lingo that is just that rolls off our tongue, and we don't even realize it. We don't yeah. even think about it, yeah. um, and we have to step back and examine that. And do Missy, better. I saw this all the time in pastoral ministry, uh, especially when there was loss of life. And I mean, you and I have talked about it. How many people have we encountered who have said, "Oh, your loved one is in a better place," or "Oh." you know, God had a purpose for this. No. Yeah. (laughs) Just no. Don't say that. I understand you're uncomfortable. I understand, you know, in your own way, you're trying to be helpful and encouraging and comforting. But those are really terrible things to say. They are, but it's just so ingrained in us. And like I said, I'm I'm guilty and find myself saying some things that are cringeworthy sometimes. And I hate that. But... I just feel like as people of faith, we have got to learn to do better and to choose our words more carefully and be more aware when we say these things, how while we think we're being a comforting voice, it is so disrespectful and so hurtful to others to say that one person was protected while another person was not. You, you cannot put that on, well, they were closer to God. And if we believe in God and that God is love and God exudes and practices an agape type of love, it really doesn't matter who you are. It really doesn't matter what religion you practice. It really doesn't matter how ethical you are. God loves everyone 
equally. And that's hard for us to get our mind around. Yeah, you said that. And I was like, well, wait a minute. There are a few people (laughs) (laughs) that God and I have agreed are not on his list. (laughs) Uh, And I say that, and then you talk about ethics and justice. And the reality is there's evil in humanity and humans commit evil acts. And there needs to be justice enacted when evil is present. There are consequences to those evil acts. But when we're talking about natural disasters, when we're talking about tragedies and sickness that afflict people, those are natural events, and they're not the judgment of God. No matter what the Jerry Falwells of the world say and Pat Robertsons of the world say, those are just natural happenings that occur that are unfortunate, and we should grieve those, and we should help those who suffer from those, but to say that is God's will or that is God's judgment upon them is asinine. Again, going back to this original uh, conversation that we're having, that I want everybody to know who's listening to this podcast, it doesn't matter who you are. I don't care if you go to church or if you don't go to church. I don't care what God you believe in. I don't know. I don't care what name you use to, to talk about God or even if you don't believe in God. My theology, the way I understand the Bible and the way I understand God, is that God loves you just as much as God loves me and you, period. And there is no favoritism in this world for God. He loves us all. We're all his or her favorite. Excellent. Well, I'll amen that. Oh, yeah, I love that. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So hopefully we'll not have another exciting weekend. <laughs> or, well, never mind. <laughs> no, no. So this week we sat down with Jess Piper and talked yeah. to her about um, about many things. We talked a little bit about her background just because she grew up somewhat similar to you and I, but then we move on into um, the myth of school choice, Um into transgender laws in her part of the country, which are, you know, happening everywhere along with rural issues. And she is fantastic. Oh my gosh. Full of energy. Uh, you know, got a little sassiness to just her. Fierce. I just, I love that, but just fierce. I, that's a better word. She is Absolutely. Fierce. And I really um, and have enjoyed following her on social media. We'll say that several times through this mm-hmm. interview, but um, you're going to want to stay tuned. She is just great. You get a little fired up there as well. So me, no. Yeah. (laughs) So I hope you guys enjoyed the interview and we'll uh, circle back at the end. Hey listeners, check us out online at goodfaithmedia.org and follow us on social at gfmedia.org. We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. I'm new here and could really use the feedback, but only if it's glowing. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got a very special guest. Jess Piper is an unapologetically progressive voice for rural folks across the heartland. A former educator with 15 years of classroom experience and a prior candidate for Missouri State House, Jess is here to speak the truth the way thousands of folks have come to know her. Direct 
to the point and based on facts. I will also say with a bit of attitude, which we like, <laughs> Jessica ran for election to the Missouri House of Representatives in 2022 to represent District 1 as a progressive rural politician. She lost in the general election to her opponent. But even though she lost, Jess continues to stand up, speak out, and step forward through her social media presence, as well as her podcast, Dirt Road Democrat. Jess, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. It's so good to be with you guys. Thank you for inviting me uh, and thank you for letting me share what's going on. Absolutely. We're so excited that you agreed to come on and chat with us this afternoon. Um, we have enjoyed getting to know you through your social media presence, but for our listeners... Oh, oh we, we, I get the Jess report almost daily. Oh, shut up. Hey, did you see what Jess posted today? Did you see what she said to this one... I'm I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I really enjoyed your, your Twitter feed, definitely. But for our listeners who don't know or aren't familiar with you, can you tell us just a little bit about your background? Uh, in particular, you know, as it applies to faith and, and um, how you grew up. Yeah, so um, I was born and raised a Southern Baptist, um, a very conservative person. Um, I was saved a couple times because I was really scared <laughs> that I might be headed to the bad place. And so uh, that was a regular part of my life. Um, I ended up going to, I got married really young. I'm from Arkansas. I got married at 18. I had a child by 20. And I went back to school and um, sort of realized that I was missing a whole lot of things that I didn't get in school. So college sort of opened my eyes. I was not indoctrinated friends, but I did read books. <laughs> and so I got a different perspective on um, just, you know, my rural Arkansas home. Well, you'll be happy to know that you are in the midst of recovering Southern Baptist as well. <laughs> You're in good company. Yes. We had a great, There's a lot of us. There is so many of There's us. There's a lot. And I think in one um, interview, I heard you talk about a, a kind of a formative experience in your life where your church family had left groceries for you as a child, but also kind of marrying and examining that in juxtaposition to some of the other things that weren't so healthy um, about about church. I think there are many of us out there trying to do that deconstructing and, and keep what the best parts of that experience were, but also realizing that there was some problematic elements. Something was a foul. <laughs> there are lots of problematic elements in uh, Southern back, uh, Baptist doctrine. However, just like you talk about, there were so many good people that I came into contact through the years who believed in community and helping each other and being there for each other. Um, and so I hate to you know, paint with a, a broad brush, but at the same time, I realize that we have really struggled, um, you know, as the church, as leaders in the community, especially, you know, post-Trump. Absolutely. You know, Jess, one of the things that I've noticed about faith, and, and I appreciate that statement, you don't want to paint with broad strokes, neither we do, we don't either here at Good Faith Media, but what is interesting, since you grew up in the same system that we grew up in, is that the system itself constricts uh, free thinking, exploration, discovery, uh, equality, and the system is so powerful that those who operate within it are almost blind. It's kind of like the old adage, a fish, does a fish really know it's in water? And so, you know, those systems themselves are so restrictive. And what was it like for you to break out of that system? 
Well, you know, I would go even further with my Southern Baptist. Um, like my grandfather wasn't a fan of us wearing pants, women wearing pants or cutting our hair or wearing makeup. I went to school my ninth grade year. I went to a boarding school, Christian boarding school, not because I was in trouble, but because I <laughs> wanted to go. And, um, you know, we were we had to wear skirts. Um, we were often told, you know, that it was our fault if our brothers in Christ stumbled, you know, it was my fault for showing a shoulder or whatever, um, I had done. So as I got away from it and really my break was in the late nineties, uh, I was still going to a Southern Baptist church and, uh, there was a story that our pastor told about a homeless man that he had seen at Walmart and the man had bought a huge bag of dog food and, you know, took it out and whatever the, the pastor saw him. That same man came an hour or two later and said, hey, you know, I'm hungry. Is there any way you guys can help me out? And the pastor turned to us, the congregation. He said, I told him, you know, he could afford to pay for dog food and this wasn't a soup kitchen. And I just, I knew right then, I mean, just tears. I wanted to do the Jesus bit and walk out throwing (laughs) all the tables over as I walked out. But it was then and there that I knew um, that I couldn't continue uh, in the church in, in that same manner. So we had moved so far from the people who left groceries in my car when, you know, when I was just, you know, barely even past toddler age to people saying that, you know, we shouldn't feed the homeless because it's not a soup kitchen. Mm. Well, tell us, Jess, what, what does it mean for you to be a progressive voice for rural communities? It means that my neighbors deserve a choice. Um, I live in Missouri and we have a GOP supermajority and we've had it since 2002. Um, Everyone from my sheriff to my federal senator, all of them are all Republicans. So there is no one representing me. When I say progressive, I mean things like free universal health care. I think about things like educating children K through 14. Um, I think that my neighbors deserve roads to drive on. They deserve a rural hospital where they can get care. And progressive to me is nothing more than not being regressive, like not looking back, but looking toward the future. It's FDR. It's programs that are made to help my neighbors and everyone in my community. I love that definition. And, you know, we use the term progressive and liberal here. We still don't. We think that those are not bad words, even though there are people uh, within faith as well as outside of faith who think that those, you know, are just above the devil himself. Uh, But going along those lines, Jess, you mentioned FDR, and my grandfather grew up here in Oklahoma, seventh grade education, um, son of the Depression, uh, he worshipped FDR (laughs) and was, you know, considered a yellow dog Democrat. And... I can remember him saying when I was young that he just felt like when Democrats and their policies were in place, that his life was somehow better because of it. Now, I don't want to get partisan in this conversation, but something changed, especially in states like Missouri and Oklahoma and more southern states. What happened to that common sense ideology that we were responsible for our neighbors and we needed to take care of each other. It seems as though now that that mindset is just all about rugged individualism. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. Rugged individualism for us and socialism for the rich right. um, is honestly what it's become. And if you go back and you think about the church, um, I think that when we started having the prosperity doctrine, when we started saying that, you know, God wants you to be rich if you do the certain things and you you do the things that we tell you to. I think um, we lost vision there. And I talk about this a lot in the loss of community. Most folks now in America aren't attending church. And I would say that it's not a loss for doctrine, but it's a loss of community. Um, we don't, we're not gathering in spaces anymore. We're not talking to our neighbors anymore. Um, there's a lot of, you know, vitriol online as we know, but I think that we've actually pulled away from each other and in doing so it's become about me. You know, and that's why um, and I know you haven't led me down this road yet, but that's why I think it's so important to, you know, to talk about public education as well, because it's that one place where uh, we come together as a community and we care about each other and we care about kids and we do what's right for those in our community. And that's exactly why we really appreciate what your uh, your work in Missouri is, because you deal with what we consider real, tangible life issues. <laughs> And one of those that you're very passionate about is public education. I am a son of a public educator. That grandfather I mentioned a moment ago worked on boilers in public schools. His wife was a cafeteria worker. My brother, I just got all kinds of family in public education. So big proponent of public education. But there is a huge, there is a big trick being played on society today and in our communities, especially rural communities. And that is this notion of school choice. We all <laughs> suffered through school choice week a few weeks ago, but school choice is nothing more than a voucher system to prop up public education or uh, private education and more particularly uh, Christian or religious based education. So just tell us a little bit about your work and your support of public education and your work to thwart this voucher system known myth or mythologically as school choice. Yeah. So school choice is a misnomer. And I always talk about it like this. It's like everything. And I'm, I know you're not partisan. I'm very partisan. <laughs> so I'm going to speak on that for just a second. Everything the GOP hands down. And um, I look at bills all day long. I wake up in the morning and I'm punching, you know, mm -hmm. I'm getting online, seeing which lane I'm going to stay in. And then I start writing, calling, um, getting hold of legislators. But everything they say is up is down. It's Orwellian, you know, like right to work. Yeah the right to work for less school choice that means schools choose their students and folks should know that mm -hmm. um you can give me as many vouchers as you want i live in a town of 480 people and there are 16 kids in my daughters and i used to say 17 but we lost one so uh, she didn't die she moved um but there are 16 <laughs> kids in her entire fifth grade um there is no choice and for anyone to think that there is going to be a school that's going to come out here and, you know, build a building to take care of these kids, they're wrong. You're wrong. When they say school choice, they are not talking to anyone in rural America, and they're sure not talking to anybody who has a kiddo with, you know, social emotional issues, um, has a 504 or an IEP, because they don't accept those kids. They also, and they're clear about it too. I look at these schools online. There's one in Ames who is looking to accept state-funded vouchers, and on their website, it specifically says, 
if your child needs any education outside of the mainstream classroom, sorry, don't apply. We're not taking your kid. Mm-hmm. So they're being, you know, very upfront and transparent about it. Uh, while the lawmakers sitting around and giving state funded vouchers uh, to, you know, private and religious schools are lying. And they're saying that we're going to have a choice. And there's another thing too, that people aren't talking about. I don't want my daughter to go to a religious school. I don't want her indoctrinated in a religion, right? Uh, And there's a lot of people that are out there like me. I just talked to Joe Walsh the other day on his podcast, and um, we were on completely different sides of the issue, but he kept saying, there are great Catholic schools in Chicago. Well, fantastic, but I don't want my child to go to the Catholic school. So the people have to understand that. And when they talk, when we think of school choice, It's so pie in the sky. I mean, you think it's Robin Williams, you know, and leather bound books and, you know, students wearing um, uniforms and these lush, you know, grounds that these kids are on. When, in fact, when you come to most of these places that are religious schools, it's in the Baptist church. It's in the basement. Kids are facing a cinder block wall in a cubicle on a computer or with a worksheet because they're looking to make money. Right. These places, these things need money. Um, People should know that they are often staffed by uncertified teachers. Uh, They're staffed by people who act as coaches or mentors who are barely paid above the minimum wage. So private and religious schools are cutting corners so that they can make a profit. And people like Joe, who is trying, he came from, um, you know, from the Tea Party to being a never Trumper. So he's trying, you know, Mm -hmm. to come over there. But they need to understand because they'll say private schools can um, educate children for less. You bet they can. Because they're not accepting disabled kids, which costs double a mainstream kid, right? They're not giving in, you know, they're not doing teacher retirement. They're not hiring certified teachers. They are cutting corners at every corner. And folks need to understand that. We often talk to one of our good friends down in Texas, Charlie Johnson, uh, who leads uh, Pastors for Texas Kids, and he often refers to these private schools as more than private schools. They're for-profit businesses. Uh, The most important thing for this business to survive is for them to make a profit, and then they may educate your child, you know, secondary. He also says in that same breath that he's not anti-private school. You can have a private school, you can have a religious school, but just don't subsidize it with taxpayer dollars because we have something in this country called the United States Constitution, called the First Amendment, the No Establishment Clause, and a lot of states like Oklahoma, don't know about Missouri, but it specifically states in Oklahoma that public dollars are not supposed to be spent for religious education. Now, they try to get that changed almost every year, and it fails miserably. But at the same time, they've been able to weasel their way around it and manipulate the system and get people to believe. And these are good people, honest people. They're getting them to believe that somehow they're doing the Lord's work by rejecting public education because the false uh, indication that it's failing and to support private education because it is thriving. The problem with that is statistics tell the exact opposite. Yeah, we know that about 30 or 40 percent of kids who get a voucher get they leave that school within one year. Um, And so like in Missouri, it's a I call it a voucher scheme for a reason. It's a it's a a dollar for dollar um, tax uh, payback. Right. So any person say I'm rich and I want to buy 10 scholarships for 10 kids that aren't even mine. I can do that and get my money back. Um, because, you know, it comes back in that tax refund. So it's the 
the basis of the thing is this, and I'm with you. I, you want to take your kid to religious school, do it. You want to homeschool your kid, do it. But that's not what anyone planned with public tax money, right? right? And you'll hear people say, fund students, not systems. Well, here's the deal. You're still funding a system. It's just a different one. Mm-hmm. Like you're still sending that money to a different system. And at the same time, you've defunded everyone's schools. Like I said, we don't have choice out here. They already passed this in Missouri. It's called most scholars. They're already giving money to people to send their kids to private and religious schools. All that's doing is further defunding my school until it falls down under its own weight. Right. We are already 49th in educational funding and 50th in teacher pay. And people, you know, when they say the failing school, well, here's the thing. Like we haven't funded them properly in Missouri for over a decade. You can look at the data and accounting for inflation. We send less now than we did in 2011. And I know that for a fact because I was like making less money when I left accounting for inflation than I was when I started. And I had a master's degree and I was traveling the country teaching other teachers and I made less than I did walking in that door. And, and that's across the country, not just in Missouri. It's purposeful. It's purposeful to defund the schools. Hopefully their, their, you know, scores will fall. Um, we can talk parents into thinking that they're failing or they're teaching CRT or they're teaching gender affirming, whatever they're calling it. Um, and then they can get folks riled up and say, I, I want my kid to go somewhere else. I want my money. But the funny thing is, like, it doesn't work like that in this world. Um, I've never used the police department. Still paying for them. I've never called the fire department. I'm still paying for them. You want to you, you, you wanna let me keep my money for the road? Well, I can pave, you know, 150 feet in front of my house. Like, is that where we're going? And if there's a libertarian listening to this, they're like, oh, heck yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's the world I want. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Well, just let's let's switch gears. I just want to say I know our listeners can't see, but you are have very clearly, um, f- you know, heeded our warnings about the dress code for our podcast. <laughs> I see that your arms are appropriately covered. <laughs> they so are. Appreciate that. So, yeah. along those lines, let's talk about legislating the human body. So, yeah. from reproductive rights to gender affirming care, even to what clothing a person chooses to put on their body. Let's talk about why people are so easily distracted or convinced that this is the main issue, that this is the real evil out there. When, as we've just visited about, there are many other things. Like, why are we falling for this trap that this is the evil we need to be camping out with? I can say this for anybody who's living in uh, a state that has a GOP supermajority. They absolutely cannot focus on what they've done for your state because they haven't done anything. So the only thing they can do is distract you, to put your head on a swivel and have you looking in 10 different directions instead of paying attention to the fact that your hospital closed, your school is is struggling, your roads are falling apart, um, you don't have access to health care. And then, like you said, the, the very first day of this session in Missouri, they opened it up by telling Missouri women to make sure that their arms were covered on the House floor and then had debates about cardigans. And I wish I could say that that <laughs> Dude, was Jesus. just a joke, but it wasn't. <laughs> it was not a joke. They were literally talking about knit versus whatever. So um, they've got to distract us, right? Um, and what they're doing with trans kids is absolutely despicable. Missouri introduced more trans, uh, anti-trans legislation than any state um, in the country that has ever filed. We had more bills 
uh, trying to keep trans kids from playing sports than we had trans kids playing sports. Like it's, it's an outrage. And for what, for what, none of these kids are getting a scholarship. They just want to play softball Mm -hmm. or soccer or whatever. So we're going to pick on four kids. And uh, to me, I can't make any sense of it. And um, it's just disgusting that, that adults bully children. And that, that's a, that is such an important point, Jess, because not only is this a distraction, the distraction itself is causing so much harm to these individuals, especially to these kids when we're talking about transgender uh, care, when we're talking about reproductive rights of women, uh, especially young women. Um, it is causing such a great travesty in our culture on that side of things, while at the same time, the issues that they are ignoring are causing travesty as well, such as not funding public schools, such as not looking at income inequality across the board, or looking at rural communities to see how they can improve and empower rural communities. It's just, in my opinion, my humble opinion, is an evil mindset and practice that is being stilled into our body of politic today. And it is infuriating. That's why I'm so glad that there are people like you, Jess Piper, and others who are standing up, speaking out, and stepping forward to say enough is enough. Well, I I feel like, um, you know, because a lot of my representatives use their religion to, they impose their religion on me. Um, And like I said, born and raised a, a Southern Baptist, but don't tell me what to do because of your religion. It's we have an establishment clause, right? We have it, it says in the Constitution that they cannot force or impose their religion on us, yet they constantly do. And when you call them on it, they will say it out loud. They are unscared. And that happens, especially in places like Missouri, because 40 percent of our seats went unopposed. Nobody is even opposing these, the worst of the worst, the people who have their fingerprints all over abortion bans and trans bans and uh, bills to cut education. Those people are running unopposed and they are free. They feel free to do absolutely anything, to talk to constituents any way they want, to address people any way they want um, without consequence. And that's where it's so frustrating to me is to just look around. I ran. I knew I knew that it was going to be near impossible to win or flip my district. But I got one in four, which sounds miserable, but this is a thing. When I go to Hy-Vee, I look around and go one in four will vote for someone who a woman. My district has never elected a woman will vote for a woman who uses the word abortion and who says that we deserve health care as a right. So I'm not just a Democrat, but I'm very progressive. One in four in ruby red Missouri, that's that's something. Absolutely. I remember hearing you say that on another um, podcast, and I, it did flip a switch in my mind that, okay, that it, it does sound bleak when you say 25% of the vote, but then when you think, okay, someone who is – progressive and believes in caring for all people can, you know, one in four, that's, that's more than you would honestly think. Like you said, in the grocery store, that's more than you would think. <laughs> Walter Raffenbush said, uh, every great movement begins with a few. And that's, that's right. what I hope that's we're seeing right. right now. So one of the things that you say often is how much you love your rural community, that you choose to be there, that you are not kind of what a lot of people would expect in the, the old trope of we're trying to escape. You love being there and you, you are there by choice. 
Um, and I've also really enjoyed learning about some of the specific issues that um, just affect people like in their everyday lives in a rural community. I know many of us who are city or suburban kids just don't realize what's happening. So kind of as we wrap this up, tell us about a few of the issues that that we can, as people of faith, help advocate for and remember um, in these communities where, like you said, just because it's sheer numbers, you're in a town of 480 people or whatever that is, that, you know, just numbers-wise, maybe don't have as loud of a voice. Yeah. I think about things that people in cities probably wouldn't understand. I went to um, a little meeting. It was called the Hopkins Betterment <laughs> meeting. And I went and met in the basement of a church and we were talking about what we could do for our little town. And there was something that I didn't think of because I don't have, uh, my parents don't live here. My grandparents don't live here, but they were talking about the fact that um, the older folks in our community that don't drive, don't have access to hot food. And just hearing that because they don't have access to Meals on Wheels. It doesn't come out this far. We don't have any restaurants. Um, and just hearing that, and we just did get a restaurant, thank God. But those are things that people don't think about. You know, you have folks out here that, um, you know, don't have access to hot food. Um, our roads are terrible. Um, this entire state, Missouri was a bellwether state for years, for decades, right? We had that common sense, that Midwestern common sense, right? And the funny thing is, if you talk to my neighbors, they still do have common sense. It's the folks that we're electing that make it seem like we're all crazy here. We're not crazy. I'll tell you something. People will often tell me, well, one, they'll say move to California or New York. No, <laughs> I've been to both. They're lovely places, but I'm not moving. This is where I'm from. Um, but just that people don't, they'll say you vote against your self-interest. Well, I'll tell you what, when 40% of the House seats are unopposed, how could we vote in our self-interest? Mm. How could people vote to make change when there is no one on the ballot? And that's my struggle now. And that's that is what I have taken on. That's my cross to bear. I am going to make sure that we are contesting so that people have a choice and maybe they don't vote for them. Like me, they, a lot of folks didn't vote for me when I knocked on their door, but they found that I didn't have horns. I don't eat babies. And they're like, <laughs> Hmm, I never considered a Democrat, but maybe. So it didn't happen in the first cycle. I got one out of four. Maybe next time it's one out of three and then it's, you know, half. And this is how we make progress. We don't, as Democrats, throw our hands up in the air and say it's too red. You know, we don't care about this place. No, all my neighbors, my community, my entire state deserves people who actually represent them and care about them and will work for them, not just troll them, right? Mm. Not send them nasty emails. Um, and by the way, the man who beat me, we had a lot of, you know, differences, but I wrote him a letter today asking him to make sure that he's funding public schools. He said, you know, I will, I've got your back on that. Good. He's not a crazy person, mm -hmm. right? So giving people choice, letting people know um, that progressives are here. Democrats are here. We're in every single corner and we deserve representation too. And by the way, if I were elected, I would represent my Republican neighbors too, because the only thing I want for you is roads, schools, and healthcare. Be healthy, be happy, be educated. That's all I want. Wow. That was excellent. That, I, I <laughs> that do was recall, lovely. I, I do recall another um, incident that you brought up in another recording about, about the roads and just something I hadn't thought about and getting stuck behind. Um, sorry, I'm a city kid. What is it? The farm? <laughs> the farm combine. truck? Combine. combine. 
<laughs> not, big tractor, <laughs> dump truck. <laughs> Listen, Missy, if you came out here and saw the combines and saw the sprayers, you would think that you could drive under them. They're that big. I mean, they're huge, and they do. They tear up the roads, and um, they make it where we don't have shoulders. We can't pass them. I mean, there are people that have terrible accidents because of because of our roads, you know. And so, yeah, if you've if you've never been out here, it's it's just you know, it's different. Um, but we need, we need shoulders. Need on our shoulders. Like, I get ready. that. Like that's, that can be my campaign platform next time. Give the good people of you Missouri know, shoulders, but they must be covered. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> we can't expect It's funny them. that you say that because I talked about roads, roads, roads. And then sure enough, during the campaign, I turned around and saw my opponent saying, Oh, shoulders on roads. And I was like, Yes. <laughs> you stole that. Okay. <laughs> but you're changing the conversation. That That's a positive side. <laughs> but if you'll put shoulders on our roads, I'm all for it. Whoever right. can do the best job, you Absolutely. know. Well, Jess Piper, thank you so much for joining us here at Good Faith Weekly. Jess is the host of Dirt Road Democrat. And if you don't follow her on social media, you need, you need to do so. Again, thank you so much for joining us. And before we let you go, as you know, our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of our conversation today and the work that you're doing, what is your more to tell? I think it, it goes back to um, what I was talking about earlier. You see these states that are inundated with GOP laws and mandates and, and things starting to feel oppressive for kids, for women, uh, for anyone who, who isn't, you know, straight white Christian. But I'll say this, in every single corner of my district that I went to, there are loving people who support every single person, um, who mind their business, who stay out of other people's business, um, uh, but are good and loving neighbors. And I hope that everyone that is listening understands, even when you are under, you know, a supermajority, even when you are under some oppressive mandates, there are folks out there fighting for you. Um, and I try to be that voice, but I, I have a small voice compared to so many in my state and so many in the country. And there's no reason to, to feel hopeless. Uh, if I didn't have hope, I wouldn't do this every single day. I just shut my mouth, you know, and, and go back to my regular life, but there is hope. Um, and hope comes from the hard work, um, in this progressive movement. And, I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jess. Thanks. Have a great day. She is just fantastic. I mean, so brilliant in the way she thinks and the way she strategizes. I really enjoyed talking to her. And she has passion and fearlessness. Yeah. I have some passion, but not fearlessness. <laughs> You're standing behind the gestures of the world going, go, get him, go, get him. Go, girl, you get him. <laughs> I mean, when you hit like or re That's right. or the, you know, the like on Twitter or Facebook, you hit it with a lot of passion. With passion and I'm liking it at the person that <laughs> right. she's speaking out against. That's right. <laughs>
so anything anything that just stood out to you in our conversation with I Jess? think being that at Good Faith Media, we have a series going on this week yep. uh, about a public school series. So I think it's important to kind of go back and touch on that issue because she is so passionate as a former educator um, herself who knows, who's been in the trenches in the classroom and advocates for that. Um, one thing that she said that I think is worth noting um, uh, as far as these vouchers, as politicians try to sell you on these vouchers and how this is a good thing, that 30 to 40% of kids who get vouchers end up leaving that school within one year. Mm-hmm. So you know what that means? What? That private school gets the money. Yep. And then they don't have to educate the child. Exactly. And, it and happens the child a lot. goes back to the public school where... They do not have the funding for that child, but they still have to but educate that child. they still have to child. educate that child. I think that is very important to note. I think another thing that she pointed out when we talk about you know, the idea of private school and something that is absolutely true that we have this image in our mind of what this private school looks like. It's what you see in the movies and whatnot. And it is not, it is in the basement of some church. And Mm -hmm. I know that because there's a private school down the road from us that has no windows, right? No windows. Mm -hmm. And that's where people think that their kid is getting a better education. And maybe they are, but I just think we need to be realistic about what this is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am not anti-private schools. If you want to have a private school, if you want to homeschool your kids, more power to you. I mean, go, go for, it. for it. But the government shouldn't be funding private education, especially sectarian private education or sectarian homeschool education. This myth of school choice, which you correctly characterize it as vouchers. This myth of school choice, and get ready, Cliff, with the bleep button, is nothing but because it is an attempt to privatize education for corporations and wealthy individuals to make more money on the backs of kids, like you said, they're, they do, private schools do not have to educate every child. Well, like she said, it's, if, if you want to talk about school choice, it's not the person getting to choose the school. It's the school getting to choose the student. Absolutely. You and know, what that means is that there are some who will be educated and some who will not, which is so infuriating to wrap my mind around that there are people in our country who who feel like that's okay. Yeah. Like some, some children are entitled to an education and is deserving of an education while some are not. Do you know what that's called historically? No. Segregation. Oh, well. And I mean, I, I, it is, it is, it is a modern day form of segregation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it is often drawn, uh, along racial lines, but it's drawn, uh, along the lines of religious bigotry, along financial, economic uh, lines. We don't want our kids going to school with those, those kids. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I, I have a little bit of a confession here that I've been thinking about when we were early on in our marriage and I was still um, card-carrying fundamentalist. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you're just a closeted fundamentalist, <laughs> right? <laughs> In, w- wearing a bicycle helmet. <laughs> hey, pink though, pink. <laughs> hey, 
I was going to be safe <laughs> and have my contacts. Um, but I just remember you saying to me when the boys were babies, you, you made the comment that you didn't want them going to a religious school and you didn't want the school teaching them religion. And I just remember kind of thinking, wait, what? <laughs> I mean, I, we, we couldn't have afforded private school anyways, sure. but I just, to say, for you to say, I don't want some teacher teaching my kid religion. And it just like, that was kind of a light bulb moment of, oh yeah, I guess I don't either. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. you know, we're all coming along on this journey. <laughs> yeah, sure. And what's infuriating in a lot of these cases, such as the case here in, the state, in, in Oklahoma right now, for legislators and elected officials to promote and advocate for what they call school choice, which is actually vouchers. They're couching it as tax credits. They have to ignore their own state constitution. I mean, they're fine with ignoring the federal constitution because they're anti-federal you know, government, and they think that separation of church and state is a myth. Mm-hmm. But they also have to ignore their own state legislature or their own state constitution. And if you look at the Oklahoma Constitution here in our state, it is very specific that uh, tax dollars set aside for education should not fund sectarian schools. Why do you think that might be? What has Oklahoma done in their past to warrant non-sectarian public um, it education? It might have been when they sent Native children to... You think? Yes. Yeah, you think that that's, that was not problematic. We have seen this before. We have seen what tax dollars can do when given to sectarian causes to educate children. It is simply about conformity and assimilation. And you add on the corporate side of things, it's about profits and the bottom line. But for those sectarian schools, it's about making certain they double down on their education and it's not education, it's indoctrination. Uh, indoctrination. And then for anyone who comes outside into this realm, it's about making certain they assimilate to their ways and to their beliefs. Well, you have to know your place. Exactly. So this is not new, folks. This is something that is old as this country. Uh, it is nothing more than what we've seen how people have treated Native Americans in this country, Native American children in particular, and how we have seen how the country has treated African-American children in this country. Make no mistake about it, this is what it's about. So another thing that Jess um, brought up several times that I think is important to note is about just the need for progressive voices in a lot of states with a supermajority. And I think what one thing that she said, which kind of was, I don't know, eye-opening for me, I just hadn't thought of it this way, was when, when we talk about progressive and how many people will say, oh, well, that's just woke or whatever, sure. you know, whatever that woke means. Woke simply means but educated. It's not re- regressive. Right. And I thought that was such a great point to make because that's just what that means. It means we, we don't want to regress, as in, like you said, we don't want to go back to the days of taking children from their homes and putting them in these agricultural schools to make them confirm, conform to a white culture. We want to be progress. We want to progress beyond right. that and do better. And so I think the point that she made um, about that and saying that her community deserves people who actually represent them and care about them and will work for them, not just troll them. And, you know, and like she said, she talked about her opponent, how she reached out to him and said, please fight for public education funding. He said, I will. And she said, you know, my neighbors and they're, they're, 
they're great people and, and I love them. And, um, you know, we want to do great things for our community and that's what we need uh, to do. But it's hard to do. She said when there are 40% of the seats in her state that went unopposed. Right. So when you have that situation, you have a group of elected and, you know, air quotes officials who have a blank check to do whatever they want because there are no consequences. There's no one to answer to. And that's what I think is important about finding more people like Jess <laughs> who are <laughs> yeah. passionate, but also fearless and who don't mind going and knocking doors and saying, I'm running for this office and changing the conversation. I think you made that point in the interview is that, you know, we need to change the conversation. We need to stop talking about, these four trans kids in the entire state of Missouri who want to play sports mm -hmm. and let's talk about feeding our elderly who don't have access to hot food and talk about, you know, making sure we have safe transport, you know, safe roads and making sure that our children can be educated, making sure that these rural communities have hospitals and healthcare, you know, changing that conversation and keeping that at the forefront instead of the nonsense. Yeah. And what's infuriating about that and, and, you know, talking about the conversation about trans kids. We obviously need to always talk about trans kids and to protect these children for right. who they are. Right, right, right. But what just the point that she was making is that they take these issues that are really small issues um, and they blow them up and they, they distort them, they exploit them, they manipulate them. And they cause a lot of harm to these four kids who are trans in their state. While at the same time, they do that and pay so much attention to this issue and demonize the families associated with that, that they neglect to do the actual job they were elected to do. Right. And they don't put the focus in on matters and issues that are going to affect all of their constituency such as roads, you know, such as public schools, that's what they need to be drawing attention to. That's what they need to be focusing in on. And the laws that they, I mean, you know, like she said, there's more laws uh, right now being addressed in the state of Missouri than there probably are actual trans kids, you know, who are seeking to play sports. No, she said there are more bills trying to keep kids from playing sports than there are trans kids trying to play sports. Right. We don't know that there's four. We're just throwing yeah, we're just using that number. But, but I mean, it's just that they seize on these issues that are wedge issues and they exploit them for their own political gain. It is shameful. It is evil. And there are good and decent people, both on the right and on the left, that know that no, this is wrong. And there was a day in this country where there were both progressive Republicans and progressive Democrats. Read about them. Theodore Roosevelt, even Richard Nixon could have been considered a progressive Republican. Progressivism is not a dirty word, folks. Like Missy just said, it is the ide ideology of moving things forward and advancing, not regressing, but moving things forward, which means you need to be educated, you need to be open-minded, and you need to be willing to take bold steps that may mean change, that will mean change, but that's okay. Embrace it. 
Yeah, I feel like we've been doing a lot of regressing lately. So it's it's good to keep, like you said, change the conversation. Let's yeah. talk about what we're for. Let's leave all the other garbage of finding these issues, these nonsensical issues that we need to be against, like what someone's putting on their body or what someone's wearing on the floor of the state house. That's nonsense. Nonsense. Just causing the chaos yeah. because when you've got just so much chaos, people don't know what to focus in on and don't know where to look. <laughs> and then also you, you get worn out. I mean, you and I talked about this even before we recorded the pod uh, this week. These fundamentalists and extreme right conservative theologians, Christians, and politicians, they are playing the long game. Mm-hmm. And in order for us to engage with them and to have conversation with them, and to attempt to be progressive, we've got to be willing to play the long game too. But it is exhausting. I'm tired. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so as much as you want to, I know you want to go back into the closet and put your helmet on That's right. and hide. <laughs> you corner. can't, Missy. You can't. I got my backpack. I'm Dora the Explorer. <laughs> All my things. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much uh, for tuning in this week. Uh, we had a great time talking to Jess Piper, and uh, we'll be back next week. Absolutely. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Good Faith Weekly, hosted by Mitch and Missy Randall. This weekly podcast from Good Faith Media discusses matters of faith and culture. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast and give us a like and a glowing review. We produce the podcast out of Norman, Oklahoma. Our music comes from Pond 5. And we're supported by listeners like you. Learn more about us at goodfaithmedia.org. Thank you.